Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. All right, church, on the podcast, let's talk about dreams. We're in an important uh, part of the Bible where dreams and dream interpretations are going to begin to take center stage over the coming week or two here. And so today's sermon is going to be about dreams, um, what dreams that are in the passage today, people in the Bible who have dreams, uh, does God speak through dreams, those kind of things. Uh, but first, I want to know, what kind of dreams have you been having lately? I think this is really funny. Uh, I think this is really unique that even though we're all different people, there are some repeated themes, these themed dreams where people have the same kind of dream depending on their life circumstances. And so um, there's some really common dreams out there, and I think this is interesting. So, for example, um, 53% of Americans, over half of Americans, have had a dream where they were falling, just out of control, falling backwards, couldn't stop falling, falling. That's over half of America, well, 53% of Americans surveyed. 51% have had a dream where they went back to school as a kid. Um, they dreamt of their old college, or not college, uh, elementary, middle, high school days. How many of you have had a dream uh, where you showed up to a thing and you were unprepared about the thing? Maybe a presentation at work or at school. That's 38%. That's more than one in three Americans who have that dream where they show up unprepared for the thing that they are supposed to do, whether that's school or life. You know, fun story about maybe once a year, I have this dream about church. I have a dream where it's 15 minutes before the service starts, and I realize that I forgot to write a sermon. And so, you know, your pastor is not immune from this sort of thing. He's right in the thick of it too. How about flying? Uh, have you had a, a flying dream? That's 32% of Americans. How about losing all your teeth? You know, I have that dream once a year. It, it terrifies me. I'm sitting there and a, a tooth gets knocked out or something because I'm roughhousing. And then, well, uh, another one starts to get loose and wiggle and fall out. I mean, this is my least favorite reoccurring nightmare is losing uh, teeth and not being able to do anything about it. Um, the, the last one I'll ask is what about being lost? Um, that's about 27%. Both losing your teeth and being lost. About 27%, one out of four Americans have those dreams. And look, I'll be honest with you, there are other dreams too. I have the underwear dream. Do you have the underwear dream? <laughs> Your pastor, I can't believe I'm saying this, but once every two years or so, I get the underwear dream. And the underwear dream is the one where you suddenly find yourself standing in a public place and you don't have any clothes on, maybe you got some underpants, and you have to scurry and scramble and hide to try to figure out a plan of how you're going to get out of the public space, but you can't do it because, well, you're not wearing any clothes. And so... Um, when I wake up from that dream, it's funny, I jolt out of bed, I sit up, I shoot up, and I'm, I'm frantic, I'm short of breath, and, and, and I'm in panic because, well, um, two seconds prior, I was just in the middle of a large, you know, high school cafeteria and I didn't have any clothes on, and well, that would induce panic. We're talking about dreams today. 
Um, we're talking about dreams, and we're going to talk about dreams and the Bible's view of dreams and, and, and dreams in general here. And we're moving forward with dreams because today we're going to see Joseph the dreamer in action. Uh, Joseph, our main character in Genesis, we've been following him for a couple of weeks now. Joseph is, has had dreams, and he had interpreted them in some way, specifically. Uh, but um, now we're going to see that Joseph is a unique biblical character because he's not just going to have his own dreams and, and think about them. He's going to start working and, and interpreting other people's dreams. Um, God manifests his self, the, care, the, the relationship that Joseph and God have, have together it, it manifests itself through this mystical uh, dream interpretation the system of dreams Joseph has dreams about God he interprets dreams and he imbues them with meaning and he does this for other people as well and so whenever those interpretations are made with the future in mind Joseph finds in these dreams insights about how the future is going to play out and it's not just a neat trick for parties either you know that's what the book of Genesis says this is the result of a special connection that Joseph has with the powers of heaven. And it's this special connection with that Joseph has with God uh, that is a real life raft <laughs> after the life of Joseph, if it were the, the a boat, it, it went Titanic. It, it completely sunk. When we catch up with Joseph today, he's been thrown into a pit twice. <laughs> uh, first, his brothers threw him in a pit, leaving him to die. They hated him. They thought he was a suck-up and a brown nose, and uh, they just couldn't stand to be in a room with him. So his brothers threw him in a pit and left him to die. But when they saw some slave traders coming by, they changed their mind, pulled him out, and sold him into slavery. And while he was in slavery, although he became a successful uh, manager of a household for an Egyptian uh, military commander, um, he was forced, falsely forced, um, to go back into prison. He was forced into prison. He was accused of uh, impropriety with the captain's wife, with the military man's wife, his master's wife. And so he was thrown in jail, which he kind of dubbed a second pit. So he's in the pit twice this time. And so the idea is that twice now, Joseph's life that he's built for himself, he's in his mid-20s probably at this point, his life has just completely fallen apart. Uh, he has nothing. And every time he tries to make something of himself, every time he you know, tries to, to, to grow his station with his family or when he tries to be a good manager for um, the military man's household, well, things fall apart and he gets thrown into pits, whether that pit is a literal cistern of a well or whether it is jail. But even in jail, you see, he's been extremely helpful to the jailers and he's got some freedom and some leeway to, to kind of help, help out and manage the place. And so here's how our text begins uh, with Genesis 40 today. Sometime after this, after he's been thrown in jail, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, their king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Uh, the cupbearer and the baker, you see, are two very important positions in Pharaoh's world. In the ancient world, uh, poison was uh, a thing you had to guard against. It was a common way to assassinate your political enemies. And so the cupbearer would safeguard the king's wine and his drink, and he would test everything first to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. And so you had to put a lot of trust in your cupbearer because... 
um, you know, that's someone who is right in a place that they could poison you. So the cupbearer was generally treated well. They were paid well. They, they were a close confidant of the king. And so that's one important figure. And then the second important figure is the baker. Um, the baker uh, is someone who is taking care of food stock. He's got to make sure that uh, everyone in the court's fed. He has to be good at what he does. Um, but again, the threat of poison is also a real deal here. And so the baker is one of those people you have to trust in the kitchen to make good food and to keep it safe and to, to make sure it gets to the king in good order. And so the, the first, the cupbearer, we might think of someone as like a member of Pharaoh's secret service. And the second, right, the, the second person, the, the, the baker, is one of the many shifts that Pharaoh has in his employee. And, you know, of course, they're very, they're vetted. And if it was like the president's chef where they go through extensive background checks and they're entrusted with the life of the monarch. And so um, this is something that's really a big deal. These are two very high up positions in Egypt. And so the fact that these two people are thrown in jail, that's a big deal. We don't know exactly what they did to wind up in jail. The text only says they committed an offense against their lord. Um, maybe the two of them got in uh, a public spat against each other. Um, maybe there was a lapse in Pharaoh's uh, security detail. Maybe they found some poison and they, they got real suspicious. Um, who knows what's up? But the matter, whatever it was, led these two high-ranking court officials to be thrown into the prison with our man, Joseph. No doubt these two men were anxious and distraught as their cellmate, Joseph, you know, because they've got their careers and their their um, their whole livelihood has been thrown into question. They're sitting in a jail cell, these two. They're, they're up at night. Uh, they're not sleeping well. Um, they're wondering if they're going to die. They're wondering what's going to happen to them or if they're just going to sit in the jail cell and rot forever. And so we can imagine um, that the future for these two is causing them a ton of anxiety. They're wondering what Pharaoh is going to do. And so one day the two strike up a conversation about their dreams. So let me read from the text again. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, uh, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came the next morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So these two anxious and scared man, men have inscrutable dreams, vivid dreams we learn, dreams that they remember in detail, and they articulate them back to Joseph. And um, in the ancient world, uh, as like the modern world today, it, it's sort of taken as a given that our dreams mean something. Maybe they're premonitions, maybe they're words from God, maybe they're messages from our subconscious trying to get out. Um, in the middle of their anxiety uh, dreaming, jo uh, Joseph inserts himself with a dramatic statement about the nature of dreams. Do not interpretations belong to God? And it, these two court officials, right, if they're in Pharaoh's court, normally, uh, if they're not in jail, they have access to you know, court magicians or wise men or magi, and they can try to do a dream interpretation that way. But Joseph is stepping in to say, I have a relationship with my God, the Hebrew God, and um, he's a big deal. And you know what? The interpretations of dreams are in his hands anyway, so tell me about your dream, and, and in his name I will help you out. 
Uh, dreams, you know, they're a mystery in both the ancient world and the modern one, right? So what this means or how Joseph intuits this is sort of a mystery, and it's up to him and God. I don't know the details exactly of how it went down, but the cupbearer shares his dream, right? There's a staff, three flowers bloom on the staff, they each have grapes, and the cupbearer plucks those grapes and crushes them and, and put, turns them into wine and serves them to Pharaoh. The baker, likewise, shares his dream. There are three baskets on his head, but they're being picked at by birds. And Joseph listens to each dream and interprets them carefully and kind, and confidently too. The cupbearer, he says, is going to return to Pharaoh's service in three days. The baker will be decapitated and hung from a tree. So, you know, bad news for him. And sure enough, that's exactly what the text tells us happened. Uh, the story ends with Joseph's interpretations coming true. The cupbearer is restored to his position the baker is executed. Um, there's a really great pun here, by the way, for those of you who are like Bible people and, and like this sort of thing, um, because it says the the um, the king will lift up their head. And that's a pun because, you know, when you're downcast and you're looking down, you're humbling yourself, you're looking down, and that's a posture. You're maybe kneeling. You don't make eye contact with the king. And so to lift up one's head um, is to restore that person to fellowship and to say, no, it's okay, you can look at me now. You don't need to be so ashamed. And so there's a funny pun here in the reading where, um, you know, lift up your head. It's he, Joseph says, yeah, he's going to lift up your head. He's going to lift it right off your shoulders. And that's exactly what happens, that the cupbearer um, is restored to fellowship. His head is gently lifted up, but the, um, the baker, well, his head is removed. And so there you go. There is an ancient Bible pun in the middle of this story. Now, sadly, Joseph had given one request to the cupbearer when he's restored to the Pharaoh. Joseph says, look, let me get the Pharaoh's ear because I'm in here under false pretense. I'm in here under um, false accusation of adultery. Uh, so if I could just have a second to plead my case, maybe I can get out of here. And the cupbearer says, sure. I'll remember you. I'll get Pharaoh involved. We'll see what we can do. Um, but the cupbearer, the text says, forgets. <laughs> he just completely forgets about it once he's restored to Pharaoh. Uh, so, well, even though Joseph is in jail, you know, at least now he has a friend in a high place. He's got a buddy uh, he did the dream interpretation with who is at the right hand of the king, who's regularly hanging out with him. So who knows what will come of it? Um, but that's where our reading ends today. Joseph remains in jail, but through his dream interpreting powers um, that are gifted to him by God, by having this connection with the divine that can predict the future in some sense, um, well, what we're seeing is that Joseph made a friend in the higher courts, and we'll see if something comes from it. But this text in general brings forward for us a number of deep questions. Why do we dream? What is the purpose of dreaming? What role does God have in our dreams? Is God speaking to us in our dreams? What is the meaning of the dream that I had when I was a child that I cannot forget 40 or 50 years later? Does it even have a meaning? You know, my personal most vivid dream ever, I was chased around a seafood restaurant in Virginia Beach, Virginia by um, one of the xenomorph aliens from the Alien movie franchise. And I don't understand that dream at all. And that was 20 years ago. And so, you know, there are a lot of unknowns and mysteries around this idea of dreaming and I want to start to kind of unpack a few of them today. I'm not going to get all of them, but um, we're going to get a few of them. And so first, let me speak a word about the God who speaks in dreams. You know, throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, we find that God does speak in dreams and visions. 
Old Testament, New Testament. God is speaking to people through dreams. And when God does speak through a dream, it's almost always in the service of some greater plan than, than just the benefit of the person involved. You know, here's what I mean. Um, Matthew, right, the Gospel of Matthew, he records God showing up in people's dreams five different times during the Nativity story. God shows up um, to convince New Testament Joseph. We're, we're talking, I know, Old Testament Joseph, New Testament Joseph. But, you know, the the, the fiancé of the pregnant Virgin Mary, God shows up. He, he convinces Joseph not to divorce Mary by having an angel appear to Joseph in a dream. And then God shows up to the Magi and says, hey, Magi, don't go back the way you came because Herod's there and he's no good. And so the Magi go a different direction. And then God shows up to Joseph, the New Testament Joseph, uh, three more times to help guide him through the political mess that is, you know, leaving for Egypt, returning from Egypt. And then where do you live when you get back from Egypt? And so, um, you know, when God needs to accomplish a plan through specific individual people, right, um, God needs to keep baby Jesus alive when Herod is a mad king tyrant hell-bent on destroying him. And so God shows up to Joseph's dream. And so he, he shows up to Joseph and, and works one-on-one with Joseph to get uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus down to Egypt and back. Um, dreams are the conduit that God uses to make that happen. And so dreams are something that God uses with our Bible characters in the fulfillment of a plan. It's not like Joseph is having a dream, Old Testament Joseph is having a dream where God says to him, hey, you know, um, good job today, bucko. You know, you're doing great. Keep it up. Like he's not he's not showing up to Joseph for affirmation or just to make him feel better. God is moving chess pieces when he shows up and, and, and angels show up in people's dreams. Um, so is God speaking to you in a dream? That's a question a lot of people wonder. What do my dreams mean? Is God trying to tell me something? And uh, I will tell you this answer. I am no Old Testament Joseph. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, Of course, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so God lives in and with and around us. And so he can certainly speak to us however he wants. Uh, Call me old fashioned, I guess. But, you know, instead of looking to God in our dream, um, as if we're going to look to find God's word in our dream, Look, we've got a bunch of answers in the Bible that are easier to understand, that don't require a lot of soul-searching or vetting to answer. And so if you're looking for a word of God, um, the, the Bible is just, a, I guess, a more efficient way to do it, you know? I mean, if you think God's giving you a word in a dream, let me know. We can talk about it, I guess. But, you know, it's there's a more efficient way to do it, which is to, to go to the one that's written down and not just in your head. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about is, is the God who, who does indeed communicate through dreams. There's a pattern of him doing specific things with that, um, but that's not to say, of course, that God won't do that with you. Um, so now the second thing I want to share, second observation I want to share, is that a lot of people in the ancient world who were not Jewish or Christian have claimed that God did come to speak to them through a dream. So that's why I, I don't necessarily go all out when someone says God spoke to me in a dream. I've said, okay, well, tell me more. But, you know, it's not something I put a lot of stock in, which is to say that, um, you know, uh, this is something that God does with prophets in the Book of Mormon. God shows up in a dream to give them visions and whatnot. And the prophet Muhammad is said to have spiritual dreams, dreams of spiritual significance, leading up to the first revelations that he had, which would become the Quran, which is to say that God may speak in dreams, but not all dreams 
are spoken by God. There are other factors at play that make this idea of, you know, listening to your dreams and trying to find God in them a little more complicated. In fact, later on in the New Testament, one of those tiny little epistles, uh, epistles tucked in the back of the Bible um, near the end, uh, there's like a tiny little little book called um, the, the Book of Jude. It's this tiny letter that the Apostle Jude writes to a church about specific groups or a specific group of false Christians who are importing a moral behavior to the Christian community, and they're doing it by by justifying it with their dreams. Here's what the text says. He, Jude says, The people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Which is to say that the early church, you know, they had this problem where people were, would come forward with these revelations from God that they got in a dream, and they would use that revelation to justify behavior that was clearly not sanctioned by God. Um, and so that was a problem then, and, well, it's not really gotten any better. Plenty of people in 2021 believe their dreams are blessed by God. Um, not just the sort of, you know, images while you're sleeping kind of dreams, but the Disney-style dreams, right? The wish that your heart makes kind of Disney stuff, to quote, you know, Cinderella from 1950, you know? A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. And, and a lot of people think that when they get a dream like that, that it's somehow connected to, to divine, that the wishes of your heart are something that God has blessed and, and, and hold, that you're supposed to hold that close because there's something godly or spiritual about that. And inside the church, you'll find a blessing of this in the form of, you know, the health and wealth gospel stuff. And I'll tell you, you know, um, you're here today because you all know that health and wealth preaching is not necessarily um, good or helpful. And so, you know, what will happen is, though, the reason that these um, health and wealth ministries are so big is because they're tapping into this power of dreams. Uh, that if if th- this power that people want things, the desires of their heart, and um, these these wishes, if as it were, and uh, that people are able to tap into that and sort of bless it with God and say, "Come and and if you just believe hard enough, your dreams will come true." Um, you know, th- there's no reason why there's no um, question why these things are so daggum popular. Um, because these dreams have power, and when you bless them and baptize them with with God's um, sort of approval, well, it's just it's it's cooking with gas in terms of people trying to 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 achieve whatever their dream is. So inside the church, you have it in the health and wealth world, but you know you've got it outside the church too. Um, you know, there's there's self help movements that are really into this idea of dreams, right? Secular Saint Oprah Winfrey once articulated that our dreams may be our greatest spiritual teacher. And again, dunking on Oprah here is low-hanging fruit. And we're here at church today because we've already agreed together that that kind of pop spirituality is worthless, you know? We need more than our dreams to achieve any sort of happiness or success in life. We need um, the things that are most important in our life are not necessarily the things that we dream about. Oprah slash Disney dreams, they're not very good spiritual teachers. When we get further and further in, into the subterranean dreams, um, the dreams where we lose our teeth and show up to math class forgetting we had a test, um, those kind of dreams are actually dreams we can learn from, though. 
Um, because so many people have these common dreams, the psychologists and therapists, they got together and they noticed some trends. Let me tell you about some trends. Um, they started to recognize that people who had dreams about falling, um, that was usually a sign in your subconscious life that your life was just out of control. And so you're free falling, you know, John, John Milliken, you know, free falling, you're free falling and you feel like you need a desperate change and you have no control. And so when things are wrong in your life, you're likely to have a dream about falling. That's just a pattern that we see in the psych psychology realm. What about the dream of your teeth falling out? You know, um, that's one I had. And it's usually a sign in your subconscious that you're experiencing powerlessness and you feel trapped. You know, teeth are a really powerful tool. You do, we do a lot with our teeth. And so to lose our teeth is to lose power. That's what um, they kind of put together after looking at all these people dreaming about losing their teeth. They found that same motif. They felt powerless about something in their life. Maybe, maybe you've had the underwear dream, right? Like me. Uh, and the, the, the social science says if you have that dream, then you're likely struggling with feelings of phoniness or fraud. And if you have, you know, the forgot about the math test dream, you're likely feeling unprepared and stressed about whatever challenges are being thrown at you in life at the moment. And so, you know, besides learning that your pastor, you know, as a case of imposter syndrome who feels powerless and phony about twice a year, you know, um, your dreams, friends, are more than some sort of amalgam of your desires. Your dreams speak to you to tell you about your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, this is a lot of what Carl Jung did in his psychology work, and I think he actually, it's not Christian stuff, but it gets to the heart of the matter, which is to say that your dreams, uh, the things you dream uh, by your mind's eye when you're sleeping at night, um, is yourself trying to tell yourself something about the unsustainability of your life. Um, and so... Yeah, your dreams do speak to you in some sense, right? They Maybe they aren't, you know, the greatest spiritual teachers, as Oprah had said, but they're helpful if you want to self-diagnose what's going on in your life. But what happens when you need something more than a self-diagnosis? What happens when you need to go beyond just, oh, I need someone to remind me I'm feeling like a phony today? And that's the third thing I want to talk to you about today. Uh, is this a third and final thing, which is I want to tell you about one final dream, a dream that will come true, a dream that will move you beyond self-diagnosis into hope and strength and, and healing and and something that is just more than self-diagnosis. Um, because the Bible, you see, generally speaking, equates dreams of God's activity and visions together, as in God appearing in a dream or God sending a messenger in a dream is a lot like God um, appearing or giving a messenger to show up in a vision. And so as the Bible comes to a close, it closes with a vision. It closes with a dream. Um, and it, it comes to us from the Apostle John, who's exiled in his old age on the island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey. And he has this vision. He has this dream. And it's one where God communicates to him um, like God communicated to Joseph in our dream today. And well, St. John's dream, which comes some you know, 1,600 years later, well, that dream's kind of a doozy. <laughs> you see St. John in this, green, in this dream is greeted by Jesus, who is glowing with light and looking like his eyes are full of fire. His hair is white like wool, and he has a sword in his mouth, a double-edged sword. And St. John speaks um, this in his dream to these six-winged flying angels. He sees lambs that have seven eyes and seas that are clear as crystal or glass. 
and he's got he sees these four horsemen riding around bringing judgment on the world he sees great cataclysms impacting the earth as bowls of judgment are poured down onto the planet below him and he sees seven-headed dragons and he sees great lakes of fire and he sees a massive city made from jasper and gold and pearl and silver you know john like anyone else who's actually read the book of revelation the last book of the bible saint john is at a loss for words looking at all of this spectacular imagery he's just at a loss of words he cannot tell what is going on but you see god interprets the dream for him as joseph says in our reading today do not interpretations belong to god and we discover that god is explaining to john with this dreamlike imagery this apocalyptic imagery that one day in the future, everything's going to be made right. And that Christians who were murdered for their faith are going to get justice. That wicked emperors are going to be toppled. Satan himself will be defeated. The forces of sin in this world will be destroyed. That's what's happening in our dream. That's what is interpreted through the angelic messengers of St. John. And finally, at the end of it all, Jesus will be our king and peace will reign in the cosmos. There will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more starvation or hunger or thirst. There will be no cause for sad weeping anymore. And this, of course, was accomplished by the great King Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, who died and rose from the grave, who is worthy to judge the world, who welcomes home all of his wayward children as citizens of the kingdom of God and offers to every person who's willing to say a simple, I'm sorry, that this whole world can be theirs. And so tonight, um, as you lay down to sleep, ask God for that kind of dream. It's better than the Disney Oprah stuff. Ask God to give you a dream that points your heart and your spirit to the world to come. For all of us out there who feel like phonies, who feel like our lives are out of control, for all of us who um, feel powerless or helpless, for all of those who feel uh, overwhelming stress that is showing up in our dreams, Maybe if God gives us this dream on a regular basis, a dream for the future as God sees it, maybe the recurring nightmares would go away. Um, there's no health or no wealth, no Oprah recommendation, no Disney meme that will work as a better dream than what we read in the gospel, uh, excuse me, in John's revelation. Because St. John's dream, our dream of a new heavens and new earth, that dream will, by God's grace and the blood of Christ, one day come true. And that is infinitely better than anything else the world can offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Pennsylvania.